Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. This morning, we've called this morning's preach First Fruits. And I want to kick us off in what you might think is a bit of an unusual place in, in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I want to give you a little bit of context for what's going on in 1 Chronicles 29. And, and it's this. David has been the king uh, in Jerusalem. And he's been, had the desire to build a temple to the Lord. But God has said to him, you're not to build a temple. Solomon's to build the temple. But what David does is he instigates the mother of all building funds. And uh, we read about it in 1 Chronicles 29. And as we read this this morning, I want to dare us to dream a little bit. This morning is not a preach about a building. Okay? We, we, we know that when everyone's here, that back wall is getting a bit closer than we'd choose it to. And uh, we, we know that in our hearts, we want to have a permanent base in Market Harbour. This morning is not a preach about a building. But I do dare us to dream a little about what the future might hold for us. So um, just a couple of things to draw our attention to before I start reading the bit I want to, I want to read. The, the people have put money, put, put what they own into this building fund to build the temple. And um, so we get David in saying, well, David, he's going to donate 112 tonnes of gold, um, 262 tonnes of refined silver. And then the people as well are bringing money to this building fund. And they're saying, well... The people are going to give 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. You know, we're going to need a bigger basket if we're going to replicate that, don't you think? But, uh, but this, this was a monster project. And, um, and then when the project is done, David leads the prayer of thanksgiving to God. And that's what we're going to read together this morning. So I'm going to start reading uh, at verse 10, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honour come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. O our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name, But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. O Lord, our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honour your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives and I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. O Lord, the God of our ancestors Abraham, Isaac and Israel, 
Make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes. Give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, laws and decrees and to do everything necessary to build this temple for which I have made these preparations. Then David said to the whole assembly, give praise to the Lord your God and the entire assembly praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors and they bowed low and knelt before the Lord and King. Can you picture the scene? Can you picture the scene in this enormous temple they had made out of all these precious materials and all the people are coming to see the result of what has been built in in this monster building project? Can we just dream a little while? Can we dream about the day when we are praying a prayer like that together? Can we see it? I'm asking you seriously. Yes. To, yes. Can we see it? Yes. Is it something that's, that's in our hearts? Yes. Is it something where we are reading the account of the, people, the children of Israel um, responding to the call to bring their offerings for the building project? Mm-hmm. Well, this is something I think can start, we can allow that to start to capture our hearts. Yeah. Yeah? We don't yet know all the plans that God has for us in this town, yeah. but we can start to, we can start to dream. Yeah. We can start to speak out the things that God starts to show us. I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray about the dreams. I'd like to pray about what we're going to look at this morning. So Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge that we're before you this morning, before our Father God. We thank you that we're looking at God's word to us. We want to thank you that we are not here listening to some exercise in public speaking, but looking into the scriptures together, just leaning in to see what it is you'd say to us at this time. Holy Spirit, would you reveal truth to us as we do that? Would you show us clearly the impact of God's word to our lives? Amen. Amen. So if you have been with us for a little while, you will know that we try to be really diligent in laying down a good foundation things that we individually and as a body, as, as a, a, the number of us here, can build our lives upon. Yes. And this morning, we're going to return again to one of these foundations, which is that of how we steward all that God gives to us. Yes. And we know, don't we, when we talk about stewardship, we're not just talking about money. Um, we can talk about many things apart from money. In fact, I, uh, I was recalling when Stephen spoke recently about stewardship and he said I'm going to speak about stewardship and not talk about money at all and I was great good and I just went back through the podcast to remind myself when that was February last year can you believe that February last year but um but what had been written on Stephen's podcast on the on the website it says this for many Christians stewardship is associated with finances and budgets but in this message Stephen helps us to see that stewardship is so much more than this It includes our time, our gifting, our families, our own walk with God. Stewardship is about our whole lives. It is about faithfully developing and using our gifts, our talents and resources within the amount of time God has allotted to us. That's stewardship. But this morning, we are going to talk about money. (laughs) But I just wanted to make sure that we know that when, when you're hearing me talk about stewardship, I'm not just talking about money, but this morning, we're just going to cover the part of stewardship that is to do with money. 
how we steward it, how we worship with it, how we can allow God to grow us in a heart of great generosity. And I want us to be really practical today as well. So I'm really happy when I've finished speaking to take some questions, and I'll do my best to answer them. And also really happy if there are things of a more personal nature that you'd rather discuss privately, then Stephen and myself are really happy to do that when we finish. But um, I actually want this, what we're going to say today, to be looking at the Word of God together and pulling out some real practical applications. So all good meetings have an agenda. This is where we're going today. So first of all, we're going to look at the tithe. We're going to consider what we mean by first fruits. We're going to look at the principle of the storehouse. We're going to talk about offerings. We're going to talk about some practicalities. And then right at the end, we're going to talk about blessing, the blessing that God promises to those who honour them with all they have, honour him with all they have. So here we are right at the beginning, at the tithe. If you've been part of a belonging day, you'll remember that we teach as a church the importance of tithing. But we're also aware that, that many of us have come from different church backgrounds where perhaps that principle has not been a regular feature of church life, or, or perhaps if it has, it's not really been spoken about. You know, there's, there is, there's always been this kind of, um, well, we don't, we don't really talk about money. It's a little bit embarrassing. And, um, yeah, this principle as well as, you know, the Bible says when we give, our, our left hand shouldn't know what our right hand is doing. And, and therefore, kind of, we don't mention money at all, you know. The, the left hand not knowing what the right hand are doing is also a principle I apply to my piano playing, just so that... <laughs> Just so, just so that you know, but um, but uh, but no, it's not a it's not a secret that Christians tithe. It's not a secret that, that followers of Jesus, yeah. believers in God, mm-hmm. tithe, and therefore we bring our tithes off. It's a very public thing that we do. We don't know how much one another tithes. We don't need to know that. But the fact that Christians worship God by bringing a tithe—that's no secret. That's right. So we talk about it. Over the years, I've come across quite a few objections to the principle of bringing a tithe, such as these, I can't afford it, or I don't earn enough, or I already give money to charities, or I'm not a taxpayer, I don't trust my church leaders, I've heard it. Tithing was an Old Testament law, and it's no longer relevant. And I trust and I pray today that we will together be able to see beyond these and perhaps some other objections and really get a grasp together of these eternal principles of God. What we're going to do today is look at quite a bit of scripture, put it all on the screen to make it nice and easy, but we're going to be informed by what the Bible says and then talk about how we apply that to our lives. So uh, I don't apologise for the amount of scripture. I want to be able to prove to us to me and to you, that this is what God has to say. If you have a finger still in 1 Chronicles 29, though, take a look at what David says about the source of all he has. Uh, We're looking in verse 11, where he says, Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, this is your kingdom. Uh, Verse 12, wealth and honour come from you alone, for you rule over everything. In verse 14, he says, 
everything we have comes from you. Can you see this theme? David, David is saying, yeah, everything, everything round about us. Well, we wouldn't have it if you didn't give it to us first. Remember, David is the man who wrote Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord and everything in it. This was something that David was absolutely convicted by. Can you see that? And so he keeps saying, but everything we have, God, you've given it to us first. It, you know, even David's however hundred many tons of gold and silver he had, he says, well, you gave it all to us first. And this is always our starting point when we talk about how we steward what God has given to us, how we handle what he's given to us. It's, it's all God's and he gives it all to us. And you know, he also gives us free will as to how we handle it. God gives us free will over lots of things, doesn't he? The fact that he gives us free will doesn't mean he has no preference for what he would like us to do, but he gives us free will all the same. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says that God does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He gives us the choice, but he's certainly got a preference. How about this in Deuteronomy 30? He says this, Today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. And then he says, Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. He says, here's a choice. You've got some free will here, but I really want you to choose this. Yeah, that's God. He doesn't ask us to, to worship him, to honour him in some slavish way where we have no choice. That's not worship. But he gives us the choice. And he certainly does have a preference as to whether we live in a way that honours and pleases him. Did you know this? There is a war going on for our worship. Today, there is a war going on for our worship. As created beings, every one of us on planet Earth is a worshipper. Every single one of us. And the other thing is, we're all really, really good at it. Yeah? Sometimes we hear people say, well, I'm not, I'm not a worshipper. Yeah, meaning, they might not like singing the songs. But everyone on earth is a worshipper. We all worship something. Scripture tells us that Satan himself was once an angel involved in worshipping God in heaven. And... Satan wanted that heavenly worship for himself. He'd, he'd heard the heavenly anthems. He'd seen the sounds. He'd smelt the smells. He'd seen the glory and the presence of God. But because he desired that for himself, he was cast out of heaven. Out of heaven. And Satan's strategy now is to exchange the truth of God to mankind for a lie. To have mankind chasing after contender gods. Things that we worship but are not gods at all. He still says to us today, did God really say, just as he did right at the beginning? One of the temptations he puts before us concerns how we handle money. That's one of the reasons that Paul warns Timothy, uh, Timothy 1, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The love of money, it becomes a contender God. Are we, as God's people, self-sufficient or are we God-sufficient? 
the, the right answer, <laughs> the right answer is that we are God-sufficient. But I wonder how much in practice do we demonstrate that in our lives? I wonder how much we say, oh, we are God-sufficient, but have all our strategies in place to serve ourselves. Yeah? But God says, I want you to be God-sufficient. Who or what will we worship? There is a war for it. And when we start to look at tithing, we see the first glimpse of the eternal principle of tithing uh, seen in Genesis chapter 4. So this is the account of Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 to 7. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was the time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. You know, it's very easy to look at that scripture on the first instance and say, that wasn't very fair. That wasn't very fair, the way that Cain was dealt with after he presented his gift to God. But um, you know, it's interesting that Cain and Abel both brought gifts to God, but God accepted Abel's gift because it was the best that he could bring. Did you notice that Cain presented some of his crops and Abel came with the best that he could bring. There's a difference in attitude. Look at the warning God gives to Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. Something else within Cain's heart competing for the worship that belongs to God. God instructed him to do something about it. Later in the book of Genesis we say both Abraham and Jacob bringing a tithe to God. Genesis 14, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, brought Abraham some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abraham with his blessing. Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. And with Jacob, Genesis 18, then Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed uh, be with me and protect me on this journey and if he will provide me with food and clothing and if I return safely to my father's home then the Lord will certainly be my God and this memorial pillar I have set it will become a place for worshipping God and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives to me and in the book of Leviticus we see the tithe established in the law Leviticus 27, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. And in 2 Chronicles, we see this definition of the tithe. Uh, 2 Chronicles 31, when the people of Israel heard these requirements, they responded generously by bringing the first share of their grain, new wine, olive oil, honey, and all the produce of their fields. They brought a large quantity, a tithe of all they produced. And then finally, in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, we see Jesus affirming the tithe 
uh, as an eternal principle, as part of a life full of kingdom principles. So let me read this to you. Matthew 23. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more, more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What Jesus is, atta- is attacking there is an attitude of religious compliance with no heart for anything else that God is interested in. So we can see that over all these years, we've seen the principle of the tithe um, practiced, defined, enshrined in God's law, and affirmed by Jesus himself. So we can conclude that for today, the principle of the tithe is as relevant for now as it always ever has been. So what can we say about the tithe that will help our understanding and our practice today? So simply, a tithe means a tenth. It's 10% for the mathematicians in the room. It's the same for everybody, rich or poor. It's a tenth of my income, all that comes in. The tithe doesn't belong to us. Belongs to God. Listen to this, Leviticus 27. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. It belongs to God to start with. And the tithe teaches us to fear the Lord. Deuteronomy 14. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds, Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. How about this one? If we don't tithe, we are robbing God. God says this, Should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? God says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. They're very solemn words, aren't they? If we don't bring a tithe, we are actually robbing God of what belongs to him. So what about this principle then that we've um, started to mention a couple of times of the first fruits? What do we mean by that as a phrase you've probably heard? Well, the tithe should be the first tenth, not what is left over the first fruits, the best of what we have. Bringing bringing the first fruits is a demonstration to ourselves and to our families of our trust in God. That's what it means to fear the Lord in this context. Have a holy reverence for who God is. Demonstrating to ourselves and to our families of our trust in God. It's a declaration to God that we trust him to be our provider. And, you know, it's a statement to all the spiritual world around us that we not only say Jesus is Lord with our lips, but we live out the reality of that with our wallets and with our bank accounts. There is a war for our worship. Who or what are we going to choose to worship? Describing first fruits in this way also gives us the opportunity to ask and answer the question, which is sometimes asked, 
about whether our tithe to the Lord should be before or after tax. Do we tithe our gross income? Do we tithe our net income? Well, quite clearly, bringing the first fruits means that we bring the first portion of our income before any tax is calculated. And it's a really legitimate question to ask, the gross or net question, if the motive is, how can I honour God? But if the underlying motive is, what's the least I can get away with here? (laughs) It only demonstrates to us that there is a war for our worship. Do you see that? So, here's a tithe. For someone who's got a £1,000 worth of income a year, you tithe at £100. If you've got uh, an income of £5,000 a year, your tithe is £500. £25,000 a year, your tithe is £2,500. £50,000 a year, your tithe is £5,000. £100,000 a year, your tithe is £10,000. I could go on, but I'm not going to. But you very much see the principle here. A tithe is a tithe is a tithe. It's 10%. It's the first fruits. And here's the rub. In determining to be obedient to God, in choosing to return to him the tithe, 10% of all that he's first given to us, we need to accept the reality that God, as our provider, will enable us to do more with our 90% than we could do with the 100% left to our own devices. I don't know if you've thought of it like that, but God will enable us to do more with our 90% if we honour him than we could possibly do with 100% left to our own devices. So, what is the mechanism for bringing the tithe? Where should the tithe actually be brought to? Well, in, uh, in the scripture it says this, Tithes were taken to the place of worship or to the storehouse. An important phrase for us to use. Now, of course, we need to appreciate that back in Old Testament times, they didn't have a, uh, a bank on every corner of every high street. There wasn't the Bank of England. There wasn't the Royal Mint. Uh, when people earned an income, it was paid in commodities. It was paid in, uh, it was, it was paid in grain and crops and animals and, and so on. And therefore, you needed somewhere to put it all and the temple in those days was not only the place of worship but the place where all these things were brought in order that the people could be fed but listen to this Deuteronomy 26 when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special as a special possession and you have conquered it and settled there put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honoured. Here's an example found in Nehemiah chapter 10. The people say, We promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year, whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees. We will present them to the priests who minister in the temple of our God. We will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple of our God. We will bring the best of our flour and other grain offerings, the best of our fruit and the best of our new wine and olive oil. And we promise to bring the Levites a tenth of everything our land produces, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our rural towns. Or again from Malachi, the Lord says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. 
well, so much Old Testament, here's the principle that we can apply. We're to bring our tithes in this day and age into the storehouse in order that there will be enough food in God's house. Okay, you'll realise that we're talking about the storehouse and food, uh, not in the way that the children of Israel have spoken about storehouses and food, but we can bring our tithes into the storehouse in order that there'll be enough food in God's house. So there will be supported leadership where necessary, enough resources for the mission, enough to ensure that people are properly, properly fed and cared for and blessed. In our own case, our storehouse is Living Rock Church. For other Christians, it's the local church to which they're joined. From within our own storehouse, we use the tithe for, for people costs. We support full-time ministries. We employ administrative and creative staff. We devise, we encourage participation in, and we subsidise programmes and events to enable the body of Christ to be built up. We make gifts to the poor and to those in need, both inside and outside the body. Over the last year, Living Rock Church made gifts of about £40,000 to people in need and people who are in poverty. And of course, Living Rock Church itself gives a tithe, a tenth, of all its income to our own storehouse. Now, in the past, we've recognised Ministries Without Borders and and Kerry Jones as the apostle, as the one to whom Living Rock Church will bring a tithe. And of course, recently, that's all changed because David has been recognised as uh, an apostle to the church and we will bring our tithe of the tithe to David's ministry so that he can use it to, um, to support and spread his own ministry, both in this country and internationally as well. Let's talk about offerings. Because tithes are not the same as offerings. And offerings are not the same as tithes. Offerings are what I choose to give from the remaining 90%. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. How much we bring as an offering is up to us. But let me bring an encouragement to you this morning to bring an offering. Bring an offering when our hearts are full. I love you, Lord. What can I do to show you? I'm going to bring you an offering. When we know that we're blessed, bring an offering. When we see a need, bring an offering. When in our hearts we need to make a declaration of love, need to make a declaration of dependence on God, that might be one of those times when life is difficult. Mm-hmm. Bring an offering. Yeah. Bring it freely. Yes. Bring it cheerfully. Yes. Bring it generously. Yeah. David Lyon 
brought a really helpful encouragement to the church a couple of years ago uh, regarding bringing an offering that is proportionate to the good things we enjoy. Yeah. I, I personally, I thought that was really helpful. You know, perhaps we regularly go and buy our football tickets or rugby tickets. Yeah, yeah the good things of life. Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> Maybe we are part of clubs, you know, cycling, dancing, athletics. Maybe we have the luxury of Sky TV in the house. Bring an offering proportionate to the money we just spend on stuff. I think that's still a really helpful encouragement to us. Let me talk about some practicalities. In this modern age, we can move money around the globe, not just from one person to another, with ever-increasing ease. My daughter, Naomi, lives in Australia, and I can get money to her within 24 hours using an app on my mobile phone. And uh, she's not sent any back yet, but... uh, but, But I believe if she did, it would work equally quickly. Just incredible, just amazing. We have our standing orders and we have our direct debits. And we can pay our friends using our mobile phones, can't we? We can swipe our smartwatches and we can present our contactless cards. And we can even fill our cars with fuel using a mobile phone app. Have you done that at the BP garage? So clever. So clever. Anyway, and everyone thinks you're driving off without paying, but you've not. You've, You've... So with the kids, anyway. <laughs> and listen, all that technology, there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. It's all, it's all for our benefit. It's all for us to use. But listen to this. There is a war for our worship. And I think it can be really helpful to be knowingly part of that battle. To know when we're taking ground. And to not make the bringing of our tithe and the bringing of our offering a passive act of just letting some money leave our account every few weeks or however we might choose to do that. That's, that's not an instruction from the Lord. That's an exhortation from me. That's because, that's because I know in my own life I found that really helpful. I find it really helpful to physically bring a tithe, to physically bring an offering because it puts in my mind what's, what I'm doing. You know, it, it, it isn't Gas, electric, mobile phone, council tax, tithe, whatever, you know? And uh, it becomes an act of worship. Do whatever works best for you and your family. But bring your tithe or bring your offering in a way that touches your heart. Allow your heart to be touched as you worship God. I'd like to encourage us practically to plan ahead. Resolve during the week what your offering should be. Prepare. Amazing, isn't it? You could prepare to come to church. Just think about that. We'd even let you take a wadge of envelopes home with you. Okay, you're not going to be rugby tackled at the door. Keep them in your house. In the week ahead, decide, pray about it. What are you going to bring this week? Come ready, come prepared. Not a last minute act of panic. I want to encourage those of us who are self-employed and perhaps have quite erratic income 
to bring our tithes and our offerings in faith. Knowing that God has provided for us in the past and that we can expect him to provide for us in the future. Sometimes this might mean bringing a tithe or an offering in excess of this month's cash flow position. It's a mark of faith. God, this is what you provided me with last year. I've got no reason to think that you're any less faithful this year. In it goes. I know that God honours that. Come declaring thankfulness for all that God has provided in the past and declare his goodness over everything that lies ahead. There is real power in that declaration. For those of us whose income is a mixture of benefits or salary or dividends or family gift or any combination of those, let's be careful not to confuse the current tax and benefit system with God's eternal principle of the tithe. Oh, serious. Let's not confuse the benefit and tax system with God's eternal principles. If it comes in, it's income. And whilst we're about it, let's not confuse the gift aid system and charitable status with God's eternal principles. There's nothing to do with it. Under the current law, some bodies and Living Rock, Tr- uh, Living Rock Trust is among them, is granted charitable status. That's the current law of the land. And one of the benefits of having charitable status is that we, as a trust, are able to reclaim the tax that is paid by individuals, provided they've earned enough money to pay some tax to start with. But even if the charitable status was removed, even if the gift aid system is revoked, God's eternal principles remain the same. So this idea is we can't bring a tithe because we're not earning enough to pay tax. The two things are not related. Let's not, con- let's not confuse the law of the land as it stands at the moment with God's eternal principle. I want to finish by talking about blessing. Because I want to finish where we started really, by daring to dream. And I want to read to you this whole passage from Malachi, and we've dipped into it a little bit here and there, but you'll get the context and the payoff if you listen to the whole thing read. So here we are, Malachi 3, starting at verse 6. God says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. This is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. Listen to this. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it all in. Try it. Put me to the test. 
Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. (laughs) Your goodness is running after me. (laughs) It's what the Lord says. His goodness is pursuing us. When we see the Lord's goodness pursuing us, we don't want to run away. (laughs) We want to run to him. And this is it, the promise of God. It's blessing. Try it, he says. Put me to the test. What if we were to try it? What if we were to put God to the test? What might the blessing of God look like for us? Sometimes we are tempted to only think about God's blessing here in the context of personal financial provision. And God certainly does do that. It might not be a blessing for ourselves. What if the blessing of God looks like miraculous provision for a base for Living Rock Church in this town? What if that's what the blessing of God looks like? The promise here in Malachi is a promise for the land. What if the blessing of God is seen as salvation? You have our families and our friends and our work colleagues and our neighbours. What if the blessing of God is for our town? Will we push on in the war for our worship? Wow. Dare to dream the blessing of God. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.